Welcome to Automating the Chain, the weekly podcast and webinar specifically engineered to support and educate executives as they explore the potential of industrial automation. Each week, we sit down with an executive leader or their technical counterpart of an international organization to discuss how they plan to leverage industrial automation to advance their business. We will also have startups focused on automating the supply chain explain their technology in an accessible way. Experts in the field will color in historical and current case studies. Without further ado, let's get into the show. Hi, Ben. Uh, Thank you so much for joining Automating the Chain. Where are you dialing in from? Thanks, T. It's great to be on here. I'm dialing in from our headquarters in Columbus, Ohio. Thank you. Well, let me briefly introduce you to give a bit of context. You're the founding CEO of Ready Robotics. Your company has been up and running for the last five years. You have been a one of the leading, I would say, pioneers in this industry. Prior to this, you were commercializing technology companies at John Hopkins Ventures for over, I would say, 10 or more years. And so, what made you start ready? What, you know, what possessed you to go into the industrial robotics space? So while working at Johns Hopkins, I was exposed to some of the best and most brilliant minds in the world working on a, a wide variety of technology areas. It was actually where I met my co-founder, Kel Garin, who's the chief innovation officer of our company. While he was doing his PhD in robotics, Johns Hopkins has a, a leading robotics program, and he had come there to actually study how to make it easier to use surgical robots. But one day there had been a chance phone call where a local steel factory called literally the, the front desk of Johns Hopkins and said, hey, we bought a bunch of robots at a fire sale recently. We don't know anything about these robots. It turns out they're very complicated. Can you send someone that might be able to help us? Cal got a chance to see them firsthand. And it really was a a light bulb moment where he saw how difficult it was to program that particular brand of robots. He came and talked to me in my capacity, Johns Hopkins Technology Ventures, and we sat down and did a broader analysis of the space and found that there was a tremendous amount of fragmentation here where every robot arm OEM actually had their own programming language and they were all very difficult to use. And we saw this as a a strong opportunity to really revolutionize the the robotics industry in a space that most people were not paying attention to. And I had been there for many years and he and I got along extremely well and he was looking for a partner there. And so we put together a deck, went out there and pitched some some VCs, raised uh, our initial round of funding and the the rest is history. That's incredible. Uh, It sounds like it was a, you know, uh, love at first sight, <laughs> the <laughs> mind and of course the commercial mind that you bring to the table. So let's go back to Ready Robotics and the, the vision, the mission. What problem are you actually solving? So it sounds like fragmentation was the, the main problem, but where are you looking to go with your technology? And you, can you explain your technology in greater depth? I know it's behind you, so you can also uh, show and tell if you like. Yeah, so ultimately our technology is about democratizing access to robotics. There is a big fragmentation problem, but they're just very difficult today to use for the average person. You know, my co-founder has a PhD in robotics. I do not. I have a, I have a BA in economics. 
it should be easy enough for me or anyone to be able to use these type of systems, much in the same way that computers are easy for anyone to use, and they've become tremendous tools of productivity because of that. You know, imagine how difficult it would be for uh, people like you know yourself and myself to to use computers if we had to write you know thousands of lines of code every time we wanted to send an email or use a word processor. Unfortunately, that's where we're at today with robot arms. There's just a tremendous amount of complexity that frankly requires an advanced degree in many instances to, to deal with effectively. And what we've done with our, our software is not only work towards solving that fragmentation problem, but also created a no-code programming environment on top of that so that anyone can effectively automate a wide variety of tasks with relative ease. Can you just give me an example of some of your customers and why they started adopting this? And how easy was it to adopt this technology? Absolutely. So our customers span the gamut from small machine shops all the way up to Fortune 500 companies like Stanley Black & Decker. And it's Stanley Black & Decker, I think, that has a really good illustrative example of how easy our software is. There's one of the facilities that we helped automate tasks in. The operator for these lathes that we automated had no prior experience with robotics. And over the course of a day and a half, they were trained on how to use our system with our software, and they became a power user very quickly. And what that enabled them to do in this, this high-mix environment was actually reprogram that robot themselves several dozen times for several different SKUs, which dramatically reduced work-in-progress inventory, saved a bunch of money for the company in overhead and over time, and really gave that operator as well a career boost because now he could you know, say he was a, a robot programmer and operator, which is true. Wow, so you literally empower someone to have the skills that someone prior uh, to Ready, Ready Robotics, didn't, literally needed a PhD. Is that my understanding? Yes, you don't literally need the PhD, but it, it, it's a ton of time and effort to get up to speed on these things, right? I mean, a traditional way of going and just learning how to move a robot arm around basically and I just need to move it, right? Not pick up anything, not do anything with it. You're looking at 120 to 160 hours of training time because of the, the complexity that exists today. And with our software, as I said, right? Like this guy in the end of a shift was able to use this system effectively. And this is also an important thing as well because a lot of these operators in these facilities, some of them are, are concerned that automation is going to replace them. And they're told, hey, you can go upscale. And then they're handed this, this complicated looking teach pendant. And it's not that easy. And with our software, they can actually see themselves learning how to use this stuff effectively. And these are, these are smart individuals. It's just we're handing them something that is too complicated. And by providing them something that is much more intuitive, they can actually take those decades of know-how that they have locked up in their head and use it to make those robots more effective tools for automation, which in turn actually helps those companies scale up. In fact, many companies that end up deploying robot automation end up hiring more humans because they become more profitable, they can grow faster. And that also speaks to one of the other major problems in, this, in the manufacturing industry, which is here in the US in particular, there are 500,000 unfilled manufacturing jobs today. And that's a number that's expected to balloon to 2.2 million over the next decade.
primarily driven by demographics. The baby boomers are retiring. Younger generations were told that manufacturing is dirty, dull, and dangerous. You shouldn't go into it. You should get a nice, a nice office job, go get a college degree. And because of that, we have this massive shortfall in labor at a time that because of COVID-19 and other external factories, we desperately need to be scaling up with manufacturing. And I think one of the major points when I read some of your literature is that you, it literally solves the problem of so many different languages. Your end customer probably is sitting there thinking, before ready, I had how many different languages? Can you just state, just for the technical minds out there, because this is transcripted and some people will look at the actual data, how many languages did you have to know before you essentially implemented Ready Robotics? Yeah, so I've personally been in some factories where they've had robot arms from four different OEMs in the same facility, which means that they had to have people on staff that could program in four different languages, or they had to rely on scarce and expensive systems integrators that could handle one or more of those languages. There are, in fact, dozens robot programming languages today, and that fragmentation just makes it very difficult for factories and individuals to just pick the right robot arm for the job. There's, there's tremendous switching costs there that our platform is helping to solve. And in terms of, I, I can clearly see the, the business benefits, you know, uh, you have some of the largest companies leading in automation in the industry calling and asking for your software. So clearly you're doing the right thing, but tell us, what are you doing from a social impact perspective? What are you doing to make sure that jobs are being, or essentially, are you retraining? Are you reskilling? So you have an academy Can you tell us what exactly you're doing and why you're doing it? Yeah, so reskilling and upskilling is a a tremendously important topic and one that's very near and dear to our heart. And part of the reason we launched the Ready Academy was to take all of these materials that we've been building over the, the last several years and turn it into a formal pathway where people can go through those course materials and come out the other side knowing how to use robots uh, as effective tools and use our software to automate a variety of tasks. We actually prototyped that over the summer with an institution called eCami, where we took a cohort of 14 former coal miners that were already working to reskill themselves as machinists once the the coal mine had shut down. And we added on this module where they also learned how to program robots effectively. And so they've just become tremendously employable, right? Because they can go into a factory and say, I can program your machine tools to produce parts and I can program robots to tend those machine tools and everyone wins. I mean, that is probably the most, I would say telling part of your company culture to be retraining so many people. So thank you for that. So let's go back and let's go higher now to the commercials. Since your expertise is really how to take businesses from zero to one and making sure that it's actually profitable and uh, sustainable. Can you tell us how did you guys, um, what sort of markets you're in right now? What sort of industries, why did you pick them? You know, very sort of briefly, that would be fascinating for the entrepreneurs out there who are looking to learn from you. 
Absolutely. So I, we ultimately made a very flexible platform, but it's important when you have a very flexible platform to hone in on repeatable use cases. And so within the manufacturing industry, we've done a lot around material handling and machine tending of things like lathes, and mills, stamping presses, and like a lot of metal forming applications. And so that's where we really got started. But because it's such a broad platform, we've moved into other applications like dispensing, palletizing, and even some light assembly, all using our, our no-code programming interface. And from a geographic perspective, are you primarily focused on North America, or are you now looking at various other geographies in the world? Yeah, so to date, all of our customers have been in North America, but we have some exciting product announcements coming later this year that are going to be the beginning of our international expansion. Uh, so I'm excited to share those when they uh, when I'm able to in the in quarter two of this year because there's some some really neat stuff coming down the pipeline. That's fascinating. So I'm a firm believer that if you ask yeah. something from the universe, it will come to you. And so what in the areas of growth in your business right now, where are you looking to grow? What do you need from whether it's investors or business partners? Where is it that you want to keep expanding to get to your goal? Absolutely. So to realize the type of large scale growth that we want, we need to leverage partnerships. And so we are in the process now of actively starting to sign up systems integrators, machine builders, value-added resellers that see our software as a, a new tool for them to sell robots more effectively and quickly and really push growth across the board. And from a, I would say, from a product perspective, are you going to keep expanding or are you going to keep repeatedly selling the current product you have? Yeah, so we will certainly continue to sell the current product offerings, but as we scale up, there's a new version of uh, our core product, Forge OS, coming out in Q2 of this year that you know, I'm not going to go into all the particulars now, uh, but I'm really excited to share that with the world when it, when it does become available. That's very exciting. And COVID-19, I mean, we cannot leave the elephant out of the room. What has that meant for your customers has it, and what has it meant for your business? Yeah, so COVID-19 has obviously had a massive impact on the global economy. And one of the things that it really highlighted is the fragility of a lot of our international supply chains. You know, overnight, it became very difficult for a lot of companies to get the basic products that they had become accustomed to being able to get anywhere in the world. And what that really highlighted is a need for increased resiliency in these supply chains. And what that means in practicality is localization of production, which means onshoring. And to really do that effectively as you bring production back into economies with higher uh, labor costs, the only way to maintain cost competitiveness is through automation. And so what we are really starting to see is just a, a massive tidal wave in demand for robotics and automation that you know, really started to pick up at the end of 2020. And I think 2021 is going to showcase just tremendous growth and that's good for a couple of reasons. You know, it's good not only for resiliency uh, of these existing supply chains, but frankly, we don't make enough stuff in the world. You know, if you look globally at the number of people involved in manufacturing today, depending on the source you look at, it's between 340 million and 400 million people. And that's to make just enough stuff for less than 1% of the world to live the way that we do. There are massive emerging uh, middle classes in 
China, India, other big economies. Imagine if we wanted to make 10 times as much stuff as we do today. That's not that unreasonable of a goal, yet doing it the way we do it today means you'd have to have 3.4 billion people involved in manufacturing, which is impossible. The only way that we'll get there is through productivity gains with things like robotic automation. And the only way to scale that up effectively is to make this more accessible, more easy, more intuitive for people to deploy and manage on their own. From a partnership perspective, can you tell us a little bit about you know, what, are, what is going to happen to all the vendors out there that were previously doing the work you're doing, but you're sort of automating? What is your message to them? Are you partnering with them? Are you giving them jobs? What's going to happen? No, absolutely. So we do make integration robots and, and management and deployment of them easier. But there's always a role for systems integrators. I mean, even with computers where they have been made tremendously easier, you still have integrators coming in to help companies set up solutions where those companies don't necessarily have the process know-how to set something up effectively. And that's going to continue to be true in this space. There are always companies that want to hire someone else to help out with this. There are always companies that don't have the time to implement some of this stuff and are willing to pay somebody else. And our platform actually helps make those system integrators more competitive because like everyone else, they've had to wrestle with this fragmentation problem. Yes, there are massive systems integrators that can program in every robot language out there, but there are hundreds of smaller integrators, small businesses that are you know, four, five, six people that they only have the capability to program in one, maybe two of these robot programming languages, which means day in, day out, they're walking away from opportunities. Using our software, they no longer have to walk away from those opportunities because they can program all of these different robots the exact same way. That's incredibly helpful. The one message I'd like to end with on note I'd like to the one note I'd like to end with is what is your view of what are you excited about for the global supply chain and the automation with the global supply chain in the next year, in the next five years, in the next by 2030 even? What is your view and what are you excited about? I think that we are at the cusp of a new automation age that's going to be driven primarily through robotics and to a large extent with robot arms. And one of the things that a lot of people have been talking about is the, the falling cost of these arms. And there are some reports out there from BCG and some, some others that talk about, we're gonna see a $5,000 robot arm by 2040, basically in the next 20 years, after which there's going to be massive growth. I think those numbers are very conservative. I think that we're actually going to see a sub $5,000 robot arm by 2025 at the latest. And here's why. If you look at the IFR report, they peg the average selling price of a robot today at about $39,500. And if you go out and you buy a lightweight industrial arm from some of the leading OEMs, you're going to see that that's about the cost of it. But there are other OEMs that have been entering the space recently. For example, Epson has a low-cost arm that's $14,000 that does the same thing as that $40,000 arm. There are companies coming out of China, and even one I talked to today actually in London, that they're making robot arms for $8,000 that have the same type of capabilities. We are going to see a sub-$5,000 arm by 2025. I think by 2030, we're going to see arms even cheaper than that. And just like the PC proliferated everywhere, we're going to start to see these robot arms proliferate everywhere. It's not going to be just in manufacturing and in supply chain. 
They're going to be in kitchens. They're going to be in grocery stores. They're going to be doing applications that you and I can't even conceive of yet because some genius in some basement somewhere is going to dream it up using all of these new technologies that are coming down the pipe. And we hope that our platform makes it easier for these type of people to get into this space and to innovate and to create new things because really we're just at the beginning of this story of robot automation. I'm tremendously excited to see all the cool things that people are going to be able to do with robot arms after they're just made easier to work with. Thank you so much, Benjamin. Thank you so much for your time today. I'm so excited to be us and thank you for coming and automating the chain. I hope to follow the story and have you back on very soon. Thanks, T. I really appreciate it. Take care. Thanks so much for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and let us know what you liked. To follow along with future episodes, be sure to subscribe on the podcast platform of your choice or head over to automatingthechain.com for the latest updates. Until next time.